0: Hey Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. And today we have two cases that we'd like to share with you. Native American women are murdered and sexually assaulted at rates as high as 10 times the average in certain parts of the United States. Getting help and justice is much harder for Native American families than it should be. Today, we'd like to highlight two examples of what that means. Trisha Yellerup's family didn't even know she had been missing when her body was found on August 6 of 1998. She was discovered in a vacant lot in Seattle by a wrecking crew showing up to work. Known as Trish to her family and friends, she was originally from Montana and she and her sisters had some time ago moved out west to Washington state. Trish was a 38-year-old divorced nurse's aide doing her best to get by. Her nephew reminisced to the media at the time about how his aunt used to take him to the beach and catch jellyfish, and always treated him to ice cream.
1: What a shock that must have been. No warning, she's just suddenly gone.
0: I'm sure it hits you completely differently when your loved one turns up suddenly dead versus knowing that they are at least missing, and wasting no time to immediately start searching for them. We have to wonder how much effort was put into investigating her death. Her death certificate suggests an overdose of a combination of alcohol and opiates. Her death was ruled an accident and closed quickly, but her family had suspicions there was more to the story. When they saw her body in the casket, her face looked bruised, and it looked like she had a black eye. But police refused to reopen the case, leaving her family to spend years trying to move on, but deep down knowing that something wasn't right. Did the investigators
1: even try? This is why it's so important for loved ones to listen to their instincts.
0: I mean, an overdose of alcohol definitely does not cause bruising to the face. And her family's suspicions end up having some truth to them. Yeah. Five years later, out of nowhere, an unexpected confession from a serial killer brought her case to the spotlight. In 2003, Gary Ridgeway, better known as the Green River Killer, confessed to killing 49 women in the Seattle, Washington area, including Patricia. Police were stunned. They would have never given her case a second look if it hadn't been handed to them on a silver platter. This really pisses
1: me off. People should not have to rely on killers admitting what they did for the evidence to be taken seriously.
0: Imagine, just imagine what you could find if you actually do your job. When police were confronted with their original mistake in the ruling of her death as an accident, they said, and I quote, With the evidence we were given at the time, that was a very good ruling. Death is not a simple thing. End quote. That's crap.
1: I'm sorry, I just don't understand how they can defend an accidental overdose ruling in a case that should have clearly
0: been linked to his many other victims turning up in the same time. The evidence they found and decided to examine was hardly evidence at all. They pretty much wrapped it up to a suicide, instead of comparing it to, you know, the murder of other women's deaths. So what do we know about this guy? Well, Gary Ridgway was a short, stocky truck painter with barely a high school education. Throughout the 80s, he terrorized the Pacific Northwest, killing nearly 50 women leaving little to no evidence with the police to work with.
1: Now, Conjurers, we aren't going to deep dive into the Green River Killer or his other victims in this episode.
0: Maybe we'll do an entire episode on his murder spree another time. That's right. Today, we want to talk about the victims of violence who were discarded simply because they were Native American. He got more than enough attention. Exactly. At the trial, Ridgway showed no emotion, listening without expression as all 49 names of his victims were read. He blamed Patricia for what he had done to her, saying that she had failed to perform adequately during sex and he was angry that he wasn't able to climax. Whatever. Right. (laughs) Trisha's family attended the trial and had the opportunity to speak directly to her killer. Luanna, Patricia's sister, stood up with a button of her sister's face pinned to her shirt. She couldn't bring herself to look Ridgeway in the eye, but pulled herself together long enough to say... I don't want to give it the energy it would take to hate this man. I put the power of his fate in the hands of the Great Spirit. That's where I find peace, and that's where Trish is, in the hands of the Great Spirit.
1: At least they finally know the truth of what happened to her. Many other indigenous families don't get this kind of closure. Seattle, Washington has the highest number of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in the entire country, According to the 2008 report published by the Urban Indian Health Institute, to give you an example of what we mean when we say it's harder for Native families to get help, let me tell you what they found. Their study found that of the 5,712 cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women reported in 2016, only 116 were
0: logged into the DOJ database. The lack of attention and interest in crimes against Native Americans is heartbreaking. Steph will tell us more about a more recent case that took place in Montana after this.
1: Hannah Harris was a beautiful 21-year-old single mother of a baby boy less than a year old. She and her entire family lived in Lame Deer, Montana on the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation. She had been a wild one at times, but she had put her party days behind her to care devotedly to her new son. But that 4th of July in 2013, she decided to take a well-deserved break and join her friends at the reservation's 4th of July celebration.
0: I think that people that are not parents sometimes have this thought that mothers are just mothers and we're not human. We deserve to take a break from our children in everyday life. We like to socialize and have a good time too. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Becoming a mother was one of the best things that ever happened to me, but it's so important for parents to still be themselves outside of their children. No judgment on a mother who wants to cut loose sometimes.
0: Cut loose, girl!
1: Hannah had reportedly been having a great time at the celebration, where the drinks had been flowing. Her cousin ran into her as she was leaving the party and tried to convince Hannah to give her her keys, feeling that she might have had a little too much to drink. Hannah insisted that she was fine to drive, and home wasn't too far away. Her cousin would forever regret not pushing harder that night to give Hannah a ride home. That was the last time any of Hannah's loved ones would ever see her alive. It didn't take long for her family to get worried. Hannah was still breastfeeding her son and wouldn't have stayed away from him this long by choice. The baby was hungry and refusing to accept formula. He wanted his mommy. Hannah's mom, Melinda, started asking around town about her. No one had seen her, so she went to the police. It was Thursday, July 5th, when the police told Melinda that she's probably just partying and if she doesn't turn up by Monday, they will start looking for her.
0: Like, I can't believe they think four days isn't a long enough wait for a loved one to show up that isn't even used to being away from her family for more than a few hours. Do they not fully understand how long of a time frame that is for something critical to happen to Hannah? She could be states away at this point.
1: Right? Right. I've heard that stupid myth that you have to wait 24 hours before reporting someone missing, which is not true, by the way. The first 48 hours after someone goes missing are the most crucial, but four days? That's insane. It's definitely not right. Melinda wouldn't accept this and started gathering friends and family to look for Hannah themselves. They quickly found her car abandoned on a back road with two flat tires. At this point, Melinda had launched a full-on investigation herself, and learned from someone who had also attended the party that Hannah had been hanging out with a local couple named Gina Rowland and Garrett Wada. She heard Hannah may have even given them a ride when she left the party. Melinda wastes no time
0: finding out everything she
1: can about them and tracks them down at their favorite grocery store.
0: See, Melinda is my type of mother. She doesn't want to hear what you have to say if you're not trying to fix the problem. I'd waste no time either, to be honest. I'd probably round up all of my girlfriends, and I would be out there searching from dusk until dawn. Agreed. That is a powerful
1: woman doing what needs to be done. Exactly. She even convinced Gina to come with her to the police station as the last known person to see Hannah. At the station, they asked Gina a few basic questions and sent her on her way, still not convinced that Hannah was even missing. By July 7th, convinced that she won't get any help from the police, Melinda organizes a search party and maps out a plan starting at where Hannah's car had been found. Garrett and Gina show up to the search party and start trying to move the search to a different part of town. Pissed off, Melinda confronts them, demanding to know what information they have about her daughter that they aren't sharing. They not only immediately left the search party, they left the state. They went and got a hotel in Wyoming that very day.
0: Okay, uh, you don't leave the state for no reason, so that bothers me. Right? They expected the police to be after them, but it turns out the police didn't even care.
1: Until July 8th, when Hannah's body was found dumped on the reservation rodeo grounds by Melinda's search party. Suddenly, the police took notice and finally started an investigation. Hannah's body was so badly decomposed from laying in the summer sun so long that there was almost no evidence to be gathered. The medical examiner wasn't even able to determine the cause of death. FBI did find one of Hannah's shoes and a sash that she had been wearing on Garrett's aunt's property, but it wasn't enough. The case continued to sit unsolved for months. During this time, her family, along with about 200 supporters, marched through town in a Justice for Hannah rally demanding justice.
0: Wow. Imagine if they didn't label her as some party girl that would have abandoned her child for four days in the first place.
1: Because they ignored her as a missing person, they lost any chance of finding evidence to catch her killers. Her family and their supporters were rightfully pissed. But just like in patricia's case the police chose to wait until a confession fell into their laps eight months after hannah was found gina was drinking with her sister-in-law when she started telling her about how she and garrett had murdered hannah harris the sister-in-law immediately went to the police with this information and gina and garrett were finally arrested garrett wouldn't say much to the police when questioned He would only say that he had passed out, and when he woke up, Hannah was dead, and he only helped move the body. Gina told police lie after lie, still trying to lead them in the wrong direction. She tried to convince police that Hannah dropped them off and left with a man they didn't know. Eventually, Gina changed her story yet again and said she had no memory of what had happened because she had blacked out, but was surprised and concerned the next morning when she saw Hannah's car was still parked near the property, so they moved it. But police weren't buying it. She had already said too much to her sister-in-law. In her drunken confession, Gina claimed that Hannah had asked them to help her keep the party going that night, so they all went back to a trailer owned by Garrett's aunt. They drank even more until they all passed out completely wasted. Gina said the next thing she knows, she woke up to see Garrett having sex with Hannah and Hannah screaming and crying. Gina says she tried to help her, but Hannah hit her, which sent Gina into a blind rage. Gina and Garrett then took turns beating Hannah until she stopped moving. They then
0: wrapped her body in an old sheet and drove her and her car out to the rodeo grounds. First off, let's just call it what it is. Garrett raped Hannah, according to Gina. Gina. Let me give you guys some advice. If you have any suspicions about someone, Conjurers, just get the suspect drunk, because apparently that's when they'll eventually tell all.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I even believe the story about Hannah wanting to continue the party. Maybe
0: they straight up kidnapped her. I mean, Gina could just be trying to cover her ass. Did Hannah's family have any suspicions? Because I know Mama did.
1: Uh, yeah. Hannah's family was skeptical about the details of her confession. An alternative theory is that Hannah agreed to give Gina and Garrett a ride home. They directed her to his aunt's property, which they knew would be unoccupied. When they arrived, Hannah was most likely eager to get home to her baby and likely in pain from going so long without breastfeeding her son. Somehow the couple convinced her to come inside for a minute, where together they attacked her, raped her, and beat her to death. But we don't know for sure, it's all speculation.
0: Okay. As a mother who has breastfed, I know for sure eventually you're going to have pain in that area after a night, let alone a few hours. I kind of think this theory is more realistic than what Gina provided.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I know I was in pain if I went longer than just a few hours when I was breastfeeding.
0: Yeah, this theory just makes way more sense. So what happened after she confessed? At trial, Gina pled guilty to second-degree
1: murder and tried to gain sympathy by explaining to the judge how hard her life had been, which led her to a drinking problem. She reportedly had a terrible childhood where she was abandoned by her birth parents, adopted, and again abandoned. Neglected and unsupervised, Gina became sexually active at a very young age, leading to her giving birth to 10 children. She also had a history of abusive relationships and claimed that Garrett was abusive as well.
0: Whew, okay, girl, did you say ten children?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Against Garrett, the only real evidence they had was Gina's confession, and it could only be used against her. This allowed Garrett to make a deal with the prosecution for only 15 years in prison for accessory after the fact regarding his part in moving the body. Gina's lawyer argued that she shouldn't receive more than 15 years because she shouldn't be facing more than the maximum facing Garrett. Defense attorney Robert Kelleher said, quote, Wada, Roland, and Harris were all really, really intoxicated. Wada forced himself on Harris and was involved in her death. Not to be glib about it, but he's getting away with murder,
0: End quote. Agreed. I mean, he is getting away with murder, but I do not agree with the fact that Gina should only get 15 years because he is only getting 15 years.
1: That lawyer almost sounds like he's victim-blaming Hannah for getting drunk with them.
0: I mean, being intoxicated does not excuse murder, rape, or any form of sexual harassment. What did your family have to say to them? Because I know they had something to say. Please tell me they went all the way off.
1: Hannah's mother, grandmother, sister, and father all gave emotional statements at the hearing. Her mother, Melinda, said, I will never forgive you, and I don't want to hear your I'm sorry's. You threw away my daughter like a piece of trash. I will never forgive you for what you have done. You are a dangerous woman. Hannah's grandmother, Clara Harris, told Gina she will have to answer to God and asked the judge for the maximum sentence. When it was Gina's turn to speak, she asked if she could address the family and turned toward the audience. But Hannah's family members said no and walked out of the courtroom. Gina spoke anyway, saying, I'm not an evil person. Most of you know that. You watched me grow up. I never hurt no one ever. I blacked out, and I'm sorry. I hope you can forgive me someday.
0: Okay, well, first off, shout out to Mama Melinda for being honest and real about how she felt. Blackout drunk or not, you took a life, and most of us don't do that when we drink right she's got real issues drunk
1: or not i think i would have walked out just like her family did if i were in their shoes nothing gina could say could change what she did to hannah oh agreed after gina was finished the judge asked the family to return to the courtroom and she made her final ruling she sentenced gina roland to 22 years in prison stating having you locked up for 22 years will protect the public The Harris family will likely never know what really happened that night, and to make it worse, Melinda feels the punishment Gina and Garrett received was not severe enough for their brutal crime
0: against her daughter. Ivana Cortez, Jacqueline Crazy Bull, Evelyn Stewart, Susan Glaser, Echo Little Wolf, Tanya Hulk, Janice Bueno, Renee Gunning, Melissa Estoy, and Beverly Little Crow. These are the names of only 10 out of the 1,000 missing and unsolved murdered Native American women and children.
1: Native American reservations resources have been spread thin for decades, and they have been ignored due to the lack of investigation from the authorities and victim shaming. Women are being discounted due to their race or involvement in prostitution. The increasing rates of Native American women that are murdered, go missing, and are trafficked is staggering compared to the rest of the population. www.justicefornativewomen.com is constantly updating their website with Native Americans that have gone missing or murders that have been ignored. We are asking our listeners to share one photo of an Indigenous woman to your social media platform this week. Do your part and spread awareness and bring light to this overwhelming problem in the United States and Canada.
0: The CDC has reported that murder is the third leading cause of death among Native Americans. Let that sink in a moment. Not car crashes or heart attacks, murder. And these numbers we are giving you are most likely lower than reality. The study also found that racial misclassification is rampant when it comes to missing and murdered Native Americans. Unfortunately, the statistics imply that if it isn't known that they are Native American, it is assumed that they are some other race. And if it is known, law enforcement and mainstream media don't care about the crimes against them.
1: The National Indigenous Women's Resources Center Incorporated, NIWRC, is a Native-led nonprofit organization dedicated to ending violence against Native women and children. The NIWRC provides national leadership in ending gender-based violence in tribal communities by lifting up the collective voices of grassroots advocates and offering culturally grounded resources, technical assistance and training, and policy development to strengthen tribal sovereignty. NIWRC advocates nationwide to show that offenders can and will be held accountable and that Native women and their children are entitled to safety from violence within their homes and communities, justice both on and off tribal lands, and access to culturally grounded services designed by and for Native women. For more information, visit www.niwrc.org or call 406 477
0: Nine, to view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stephan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Dendro Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Podcast for our question of the week.
1: Sham, what is our Conjure tip of the week?
0: Well, this week we want to talk about SAGE. Sage is an herb that can add powerful flavor to any savory dish, but it has many mystical uses as well. Sage smudging is an ancient practice of burning dried sage leaves and utilizing the smoke to cleanse a space, person, or object. It can remove negative energy, encourage spirits to leave a space that they aren't wanted, and can assist with meditation and self-discovery. The stones and crystals you choose to utilize in your life will also likely need to be cleansed and charged every once in a while sage is an amazing tool for helping with that so that your crystals can get back to work for you and your well-being however please be culturally sensitive when it comes to this sacred plant white sage is an endangered species and very important to traditions to many native american tribes Please be careful who you buy sage from and ideally only purchase it from verified tribal sources, or you can even grow it yourself. Thanks,
1: Sham. We both grow our own and know firsthand how magical a resource it can be. We want to stress the importance of not supporting non-tribal companies looking to capitalize on a current trend. Let's take steps to ensure we are helping to preserve this sacred plant. All right, Conjurers, we'll be back next week with another episode.
0: Until Until next next time, time, stay stay vigilant, vigilant. conjurers.